Hi, everybody. Welcome to the History Respawn podcast. I'm your host, Bob Whitaker. And on today's show, we're going to be talking about some recent news uh, related to history and games. Uh, and in particular, we're going to be talking about uh, Ubisoft's new uh, plans for Assassin's Creed, uh, their infinite version of Assassin's Creed, uh, uh, persistent online game service. Uh, so this is news that just came out of Bloomberg. Uh, so we'll talk about that. Uh, we'll talk about some news from the recent uh, PlayStation State of Play event, uh, other new game announcements, uh, and then what we've been playing recently. Uh, but before I get to all that, uh, let me introduce my co-host on History Respond, Dr. John Harney. John, how are you? I'm good, Bob. How are you? I'm good. I'm very excited. Um, this is very good. interesting bits of news that came out this week uh, about mm-hmm. Assassin's Creed. Uh, and these news stories uh, emerged first from Bloomberg, uh, in particular, uh, Jason Schreier, uh, who seems to be the uh, kind of be-all, end-all of uh, gaming industry news these days. <laughs> uh, and he released a report a couple days ago on July 7th uh, that was subsequently confirmed uh, by Ubisoft Uh, And in this report, Jason Stryer had talked with uh, anonymous developers at Ubisoft uh, about uh, the company's plans for Assassin's Creed going forward. Uh, And these plans include uh, a new massive online platform uh, for the Assassin's Creed series called Assassin's Creed Infinity. Uh, I think I called it infinite earlier. That That's uh, the halo uh, news rubbing off on me. <laughs> uh, but regardless of the title, uh, the idea behind this is to have a uh, persistent uh, open world uh, with uh, multiple settings uh, and an always online um, service game, basically, uh, in the same sort of mold as what you have with Fortnite. Uh, this article also mentions Grand Theft Auto V as an inspiration, their online mode. Uh, but then, of course, I think we can think of many other games that fit into this mold, uh, including uh, Destiny, uh, one that I know is very near and dear to John's heart. Uh, and then also uh, some of Ubisoft's other games, uh, For Honor, uh, for instance, uh, and then also The Division. Uh, the Division series has a lot of elements of this. So, John, uh, what do you make of this news uh, coming from Bloomberg, uh, coming from Ubisoft? Um, I, I'm excited by it. You mentioned I like Destiny. I, I got back into Destiny 2 a few months ago, and um, I have a friend here at work who never stopped playing it. And uh, one of the things with Destiny 2 is that their story has just gotten so good in the last year or so. And so I think I understand the frustration. Well, some people are concerned about, does this mean stepping away from story? Because a lot of people like that quote unquote single player experience in the story thing. And I think that Destiny 2 and other games have shown that doesn't have to be the case. It does raise an interesting question of why even do this? You already have a hundred hour <laughs> single player games. Um, I wonder a little bit, I think back to Blizzard, Blizzard's Project Titan. If anyone remembers what that was, that was for years, that was going to be the World of Warcraft sequel. And it just kind of didn't happen. And so, you know, part of me wonders about that. And then finally, it's kind of like, I don't know, part of me also thinks, you know, it fits into different corporate strategies. If you look at Ubisoft Connect, which I am currently subscribed to, um, which is a great way to get lots of access. It's great for us, actually. It's like, I want to do the DLC for Phoenix Immortals Rising. I don't really need to buy that game. I'll pay $15 this month and I can play the game. Um, 
So I guess it makes sense in a corporate strategy, but also if they're trying to recreate um, Westworld from the modern HBO series, where like, I have this vision of like your 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 Assassin's Creed character will go from the the medieval Japan world to the you know to the Viking world, the other world. Um, so excited broadly, but what also like I don't know. I guess we have to see. Like, oh, you know what? What do you think, Bob? I mean, I'm not saying too early to tell exactly. I'm just kind of tentatively excited. How do you feel about it? Um, I think it makes a lot of sense in what's happening to games more recently. I mean, I think we've seen this push, uh, because of Fortnite, because of things like destiny, you know, grand theft auto online, etc. I think it is a move that makes a lot of sense in that regard. Um, also, uh, the Schreier article, uh, coming from Bloomberg, which if you don't know, Bloomberg is a kind of financial news, uh, based in New York city. So it's, uh, you know, really focused on. Uh, things that would be of value to shareholders, for instance. Uh, and it makes a note here uh, midway through the article about how uh, GTA V has really helped uh, take two studios, uh, you know, increase uh, their shareholder value. Uh, it says, you know, 42% uh, increase in shares uh, in their value over the past year just from GTA Online. Uh, and then over the same period, uh, it contracts that with Ubisoft and their shares and their value has remained flat, right? So this is kind of inferring that Ubisoft is looking at the situation, looking at the landscape of games and saying to themselves, we really need to get into this type of market. And I would say Ubisoft is really well placed to do so. I mean, they've tried this out with For Honor. They've done it with the division. They know how to do that kind of work. And I think they've been relatively successful in that regard. You know, I think when, you know, something like For Honor came out, when the first division came out, there was kind of a very tepid response. But then over the years, they've managed to, you know, maintain support for those games and offer up things that are worthwhile to players who stick uh, with those worlds, with those games. And so to think of, you know, that as maybe kind of training uh, for the changes they want to do with Assassin's Creed. I think that makes a lot of sense. However, from my perspective as a longtime player of Assassin's Creed games, I'm really disappointed by this news, mostly because I'm, I'm very skeptical uh, about this news with regards to storytelling. You know, I, I hear what you're saying about Destiny, um, but... Uh, from my perspective, I feel like this is going to get us further and further away from the type of gameplay that I really enjoyed with kind of the original mm -hmm. Assassin's Creed trilogy with, you know, um, uh, AC Brotherhood, um, you know, with Assassin's Creed 4, Black Flag, you know, those kinds of games. I feel like this move gets us further and further away uh, from that kind of narratively focused single player experience. Now, you know, it could be the case, like you said, where it's kind of a, a main hub world and they create individual stories or seasons that are focused mm -hmm. narratively on, you know, different historical eras. That could be the case. But I just feel like I look at this and I say, this is going to be just kind of a open world experience without much narrative and a lot of uh, persistence quests, uh, procedurally generated quests that come up and you do and there's not much interest uh beyond the combat uh and beyond you know kind of like uh oh what do they call them um emotes and you know uh mm -hmm. interesting uh 
um, uh, kind of, you know, artwork and uh, uh, stuff that your character, your uh, NPC, your avatar can wear. So I don't know. I'm, I'm very skeptical about this news. Well, I think, you know, I get that. I do. Um, I <laughs> I'm, think I'm, that, um... I'm old dad gamer here. <laughs> well, I think it's interesting because I think it makes a lot of sense strategically they do this because if any company was in the video game development space was like the closest anyone is to being immune. Ubisoft is the closest anyone is to being immune to like a, a flop of a game commercially speaking. But of course, nobody actually is immune. And, you know, Cyberpunk 2077 last fall had catastrophic I mean, shocking technical shortcomings, like to the point, like unbelievable that actually came out. Um, but although I liked that game, I like parts of that game. Um, if anything, the technical shortcomings saved them from what would have been an absolute critical disaster, um, I think. Or not even a critical disaster, but I think, I think players would have bounced off it very quickly. And then the other part of it is, you know, you're always in these situations where the thing about a service game is that your teams are always, always, always working. But I think there's huge benefits to that because there's none of this turning the ship around, laying people off, rehiring them three months later, setting up new teams, yada, yada, yada. Um, the cost you give that maybe they don't care about, but that you care about, and that I, I care about too, is that like you're, you are going to lose a sense of like, we're doing something different. Like our, the Origins Odyssey Valhalla trilogy, or maybe it'll become a quadrilogy if there's another game before 24. Um, would that have happened in an environment where there's kind of a, there's an entire system you're working within? Oh, you want to do a cool new thing? Well, this is how we do those. The next two seasons are taken up. You can have the season after that. So I think there's a lot. I think those concerns are entirely valid. Um, but then the other side of it is, you know, if they do it well, you could theoretically argue you're going to have consistency in ways of kind of dealing with it. Like the, the seasons in Destiny 2 and other games, Bungie have gotten more aggressive with that kind of stuff. And what they do for people who don't who don't know much about De where Destiny 2 is at this moment, they're doing an expansion each year with seasons in between. And each expansion is being used to move the store in a completely different kind of an area. And then I think of something like Riot and all the money that Riot makes. Mm -hmm. League of Legends is a free game. <laughs> and, 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 and so that what I find, sadly, well, I don't know, for you and me, it's sad. I don't think people younger than us care. But the idea that like paying for a game once and you're done, like that's dead. Yeah. You know, um, and I, I must admit, I'm at the point now where, like, if I enjoy a game and play it a lot, I'd happily throw 20 bucks at them every three months rather than pay 70 bucks for a game I might decide I hate three hours in. Yeah. So I'm, I've become part of the problem. That's what I'm saying <laughs> to you, Bob. And then, that, of course, that's what, so I think it raises, and I think you either said this to me in a tweet, in a text, or maybe somebody on the History Respond Discord brought this up. But there's clearly, it wasn't me, it was either you or somebody in the Discord. There, I think there is a fault line here that I didn't think about till you said it between what this means on the corporate side or as a business idea versus what it actually means for the games and how the game should be played or, or, or you know, should be made. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and uh, we didn't say this at the top, but it does say this in the article uh, from Shire Bloomberg. Uh, the earliest this game would come out is probably 2024. So, you know, there is a ground in which uh, maybe this won't actually, this idea won't come to fruition. Um, and, uh, there's very likely going to be another 
mainline Assassin's Creed game before we get uh, to this new project, uh, to Infinity. So, um, you know, we'll see. Uh, one of the other things I wanted to mention about this game, a um, couple of things. Uh, first thing is that uh, out of this news from Ubisoft, it emerged that uh, Clint Hawking is going to be one of the creative leads on this game. Uh, and that name uh, is, should be uh, pretty well known, uh, probably to the listeners of the show. Uh, Clint Hawking um, is a longtime game developer, been responsible for a lot of interesting, uh, if not necessarily hugely commercially successful games. Uh, he was the kind of creative lead for Far Cry 2, uh, which, you know, was one of these games that uh, received a lot of criticism once it came out, but now it's become kind of a, a critical uh, darling, uh, something, you know, you'd study to. Uh, game development class, for instance. Uh, and then uh, he was more recently working on uh, Ubisoft's other uh, big franchise, uh, Watch Dogs. Uh, he was the creative lead for Watch Dogs Legion. Uh, and so that's a game that I've been playing a little bit here and there, and it does take some chances when it comes to uh, game design, uh, particularly with the treatment of NPCs. Uh, in that game, you know, playable NPCs. And so I think having his name attached to this project is really interesting because he's somebody who, over the course of his career, takes a lot of interesting chances uh, on games. And so, you know, having him attached to this actually makes the project much more interesting to me, uh, I think, than it would have been otherwise, you know. Uh, so that's good. And then the other thing is that this Bloomberg story... Uh, because it's speaking anonymously with uh, developers within Ubisoft, uh, it also uh, brings up the ongoing uh, topic of uh, abusive behavior uh, by senior managers and others uh, at Ubisoft. And so this article uh, provides a really useful update to that story, talking about the ways in which uh, Ubisoft is attempting to use an internal uh, board in order to review these cases. Uh, and it's making the claim, uh, this internal board uh, is making the claim that uh, they have vetted all the remaining uh, claims of abuse. Uh, and anybody who's still with the company at this point uh, has already been vetted and has already been investigated by the company. And they're satisfied with that investigation. Uh, but uh, these anonymous sources within Ubisoft are saying that you know those investigations haven't gone far enough and uh, that there's still problems that remain. And... You know, what's interesting is that as Ubisoft uh, has been forced to make this announcement, uh, there's some news that's come out in this article, but then also in others about uh, some of the difficulty that Ubisoft has had recently in keeping some of their talent, uh, partly because of these plans related to Assassin's Creed and the kind of work that's going to entail, uh, but then also because of the lack of disciplinary action on senior leadership uh, at the company. Uh, and so... Uh, it's going to be interesting to see, you know, how these kind of two narratives interact. And I like the way that Schreier has set this up because, you know, not only is he talking about um, this uh, this new, you know, turn for Assassin's Creed, but he's also talking about how this is closely related to the ongoing problems with uh, sexual abuse uh, at Ubisoft. Um, so that'll be interesting to see uh, what happens. You know, some something, uh, something I really admire Shire for um, is that he fundamentally understands 
that video ga- making video games is work. I know that we all know that. What I mean is that um, I haven't read his new book yet. Um, I've heard very good things about it. Apart from the very obvious moral issues of, I was going to say bad behavior sounds like a euphemism. It's not meant to be. I mean, apart from the very clear moral issues of people behaving deeply inappropriately, um, people have to come together and create something. And it's all well and good for Clint Hawking or anybody else to be really ambitious and everything else. These things are hard to do. Like, I mean, I, I think to I mentioned Destiny one more time. That game works. <laughs> that, that entire that entire game is built around the fact that it's old school Halo shooting, right? Um, League of Legends is entirely built around a 5v5. It's effectively pickup game type vibe. That's the point of League of Legends. That's it. There is nothing else to League of Legends. When I play an Assassin's Creed game, personally, I'm really playing it for the exploration. And sometimes for some of the story beats and some of the interactions and stuff. I've never been the biggest combat guy in Assassin's Creed games. Not my cup of tea. So what do you hang your hat on for a game like that? Now, the objective they have to figure out in the next couple of years is... Like they, they have to find the answer to that to make it work. I'm sure they know that Assassin's Creed combat isn't good enough to pull this off on its own. Or, you know, that's not why people are playing the game. So I bring all this together. And the reason sure I mentioned that in that article, it's not just, and of course we all know this, he's not just bringing it up to remind everybody. It's a sense of like, these things are connected. Mm-hmm. Like if you're trying to get something done as a team and there's people in the team, especially important people in the team who either have an answer for something they should have answered for or things aren't clear of what's happening or worse. There's a risk that abuse could continue. How do you go into this massive, yeah. potentially, yeah. potentially not industry, potentially medium changing game, which is probably what they're, I'm sure Hawking is trying to do. That. That's what he's <laughs> always trying to do. I love Clint Hawking. I love that. he. Wants I love to his ambition. That's awesome. I love his ambition. Yeah, me too. Yeah. But it could be right. I mean, if, if there was going to be, if there was going to be a game that could tell the entire video game medium, Hey, we do this now. Assassin's Creed could pull that off. Yeah. And you're not going to pull that off if if people aren't pulling in the same direction or if there's a risk that people aren't going to be treated the way they deserve to be treated. So yeah, exactly. those things are connected, you know? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. You were exactly right. And so, yeah, and, you know, this is something we, we keep bringing up. And, you know, obviously when it comes to content numbers, Assassin's Creed does the most amount of work for History Respawn and a bunch of other mm-hmm. YouTube series slash podcasts. Uh, but at the same time, I think you've got to keep in mind that these are ongoing issues and, uh, you know, beyond just the interest in the game series and where it's going, you also have to be interested in the people who are doing the work and the kind of abuse and sacrifices that they are having to make. And, you know, when one of those things is way out of whack, then it's going to have a, a huge influence on the type of content we see as well as a huge influence on you know kind of the the ways in which game development uh is is changing uh over the course of the last few years i mean i it's amazing to me and you mentioned this that uh how much games coverage has changed over the past three or four years uh where we've got schreier we've got other writers who are treating game development as something that's being done by human beings, right? And right. Uh, yeah, exactly. not just kind of faceless entities. You know, I can remember uh, when I started following games and the games industry really closely back in, you know, 2008, 2009, uh, people would talk about EA or they would talk about Xbox and just kind of these general terms. They wouldn't talk about the people responsible 
for those games. And I feel like the narrative has completely changed. And I think that's a really, really positive development. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Yes, definitely. All right. Uh, well, I think that does it for uh, Assassin's Creed Infinity. Um, you know, we'll wait to hear more about that and uh, wait to hear more about these uh, um, abuse cases at Ubisoft as well. I'm sure there's going to be more uh, to come with that, unfortunately. And um, yeah, uh, we'll see what happens with that. But uh, in some other news, uh, we had had this week also a uh, PlayStation State of Play event. And uh, I bring this up because uh, the kind of big uh, topic at this State of Play event uh, was the game Deathloop, uh, which is being published by Bethesda uh, and developed by Arcane Studios. Uh, now, if you're not familiar with Deathloop, this is kind of an interesting game, uh, not only in its content, but then also in its development. Uh, this is a game that uh, Bethesda is publishing on the PlayStation 5. Uh, and Windows, and this is essentially, this could be the last Bethesda game uh, that comes out on a PlayStation platform. Uh, They had already signed an agreement before Bethesda was bought out uh, by Xbox. Uh, And so this could be the last Bethesda game that appears on a PlayStation. And then also it's interesting, uh, I think, for listeners of History Respawned, uh, because this is being developed by Arcane Studios, which uh, is also responsible for the Dishonored series. Uh, and, uh, you know, Dishonored, one of these games that we really should cover uh, for History Respawn. Yeah, definitely. That, uh, you know, basically, uh, you know, puts you in the role of a, a master assassin uh, or, uh, uh, you know, a what is it, a princess slash master assassin uh, in the second <laughs> game, uh, but puts you in this kind of very, uh, you know, Dickensian, uh, Victorian setting, uh, you know, with, uh, you know, issues of uh, uh, racism, uh, issues of uh, industrialization, issues of uh, pollution, uh, uh, colonialism, uh, and then also uh, wrapped into that kind of... Uh, uh, the occult and magic and stuff. So really interesting setting, really interesting game series that we should really cover for History Respawn. Uh, but uh, Deathloop uh, is a time loop game uh, in which you are uh, playing an assassin. And uh, I got to take a look at this footage uh, that they released during the State of Play event, and it looks like it looks exactly like Dishonored um, in the mechanics. Uh, and uh, the ways in which the player moves, the type of weaponry uh, that's on offer as well. So I just thought I'd take a moment here uh, during the podcast and just talk about how excited I am uh, for this game. This game uh, comes out. It's set for release uh, in mid-September this year. Now, it has already been delayed a couple times, so we'll see if they they stick to that date. But, uh, yeah, if you haven't seen it yet, I really highly recommend uh, going and taking a look at this uh, state of play event and looking at the death loop footage. They put about nine minutes of the game up here and uh, it looks great. If you like Dishonored, uh, if you like that kind of uh, mixture of stealth and, uh, uh, you know, arcane weaponry and stuff like that, it's really, really cool. It's also got a real kind of a, uh art deck not art deco exactly but a kind of a 1970s yeah. vibe to it yeah 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 which i like um the 70s which you know 
at one point was the less cool sibling to the 60s, <laughs> but is now rightfully seen as the kitsch masterpiece that it is. Just lots of like leather jackets and cool looking people. And um, uh, I, I, I'm doing this thing. I don't usually do this. I'm kind of scared to watch the nine minutes because I kind of want to just play it. I think I'm definitely going to play this when it comes out. So I'm kind of thinking maybe I'll try and I've seen enough of it to be really excited. Yeah. Well, um, just use my excitement as fuel. I think um, because I I watched it and I'm really excited and you know I think you're right I, it does take this kind of 70s aesthetic and Arcane is really good at doing this you know you think about Dishonored and they kind of have mm-hmm. this steampunky Victorian setting for Dishonored right. which feels historical but it's not and I feel like Deathloop kind of does the same thing where it, it takes a lot of the type of artwork that you would see in late 60s, early 70s, uh, America, Western Europe, and adopts that as kind of the um, window dressing for uh, this game about assassins and time loops. And it's a really effective way of bringing up those kind of art styles. And... Um, yeah, it's it's so great. It, it reminds me a lot of um, we're in the midst of watching um, uh, Loki on uh, Disney Plus, and that has the same sort of uh, early '70s mm. aesthetic. Uh, you could think about something like uh, Control uh, by Remedy Games. That kind of has that same sort of uh, late '60s, uh, early '70s aesthetic, uh, brutalist architecture, that kind of stuff. Uh, and I just love where <laughs> game designers are going uh, for their artistic inspiration, right? It's just right up my alley. Um, and I'm <laughs> sure it is partly yours too, John. Well, I mean, and you make a great point about Dishonored because um, one of the great things about these super expensive um, 3D games um, like uh, Deathloop and Dishonored before it and everything is you got to have stuff in those environments and they talk about environmental storytelling and everything else. So like in the first Dishonored game, I remember noticing just the mentions of whale oil, Mm -hmm. um, you know, as like a resource people were using, which is very true um, of kind of late 19th century Western world, but is not something people are thinking about every day. It's such a good example of just how rich the history, there's all this stuff there if you want to use it. So I'm quite excited to see what Deathloop throws at us. Yeah. Um, and then the last bit of news uh, that came out this uh, past week, and this uh, has a little bit to do uh, with history, uh, is there is the new game announcement of a new uh, RoboCop game uh, that is going to come in 2023. And this new game is called RoboCop Rogue City, uh, and it's being uh, developed by Taeon, uh, which uh, is working with uh, the movie studio behind RoboCop, uh, MGM. Uh, mm-hmm. to create this uh, new game uh, that is uh, basically going off of the what they say the original IP so the original story of Robocop in the uh, first three films uh, and actually I don't know if there were any other Robocop films I know there was a remake uh, not too long ago uh, but uh, I just brought this up because uh, you are listening to the voice of probably the biggest Robocop fan uh, on the planet Earth, uh, I was obsessed <laughs> with that film. I still am obsessed with that film. Uh, if you haven't seen RoboCop, uh, it is a game set, or not a game, a movie set in a near f- future version, dystopian version of Detroit, uh, in which uh, huge corporations have basically 
taken over uh, society. Uh, and uh, it is one of the great action movies of the late 80s, but then also one of the best satire films that's ever been uh, put on the big screen. And uh, I'm really interested to see uh, how this game comes along. I'm a, a very, very big fan uh, of this universe, of this uh, era, uh, and and I love the ways in which, uh, and kind of the same way that we got with Control and we might get with Deathloop, the ways in which, uh, you know, previous eras of history, those aesthetics, uh, their historical imaginations when it comes to uh, dystopian futures, uh, you know, how that could come back up here uh, in this new game, uh, particularly with um, RoboCop, which, again, I just, I think is one of the most remarkable American films <laughs> of the 20th century. I can't, I can't pump it up anymore enough. If you haven't seen it, you really should. Uh, so I'm, I'm very, very excited about this game. Robocop's funny because it has this weird place for people our age where like when I was a little boy we all knew Robocop mm -hmm. one of us one of us has seen it because they had deeply irresponsible parents but like <laughs> I say that I saw Terminator 2 like when I 10 or something so um, but it was weird I think we had Robocop lunchboxes I don't know there's this weird kind of space yeah. at our collective it's so strange to think about like can you imagine now an R-rated movie action movie coming out it is very R-rated and like your kids like having like, you know, pencils with it on. It's just such a, the 80s was a trip. I'm excited because um, it's being made by this Taeon studio who made Terminator Resistance. Yes. Which I haven't played, but I've heard so many good things about. This be, This might be my excuse to play Terminator Resistance. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I'm excited. And it, it seems like an odd thing. I mean, the remake was okay. The remake wasn't terrible but kind of i think making this pointed statement about it will be from these kind of original movies and that's that's pretty obvious they're going to go for specific aesthetics that that's pretty exciting yeah yeah so i'm very excited uh love the world of robocop and um you know i think it would lead to some interesting discussions uh of you know kind of uh, past past imagination uh, about the future and what the future has in store and, you know, how those same sort of fears from the 1980s that gave birth to those ideas uh, that you find in RoboCop and a whole bunch of other, uh, you know, dystopian uh, fiction from that era, you know, how those same stories are still uh, compelling uh, today and why are they compelling? Um, you know, I think you could see a lot of that same sort of discussion with Dishonored. Uh, in kind of this uneven industrial society. Um, you know, why is that fiction, uh, you know, that kind of historical fiction, why is that still compelling to us? That tells us mm -hmm. as much about the past as it does, or as much about today as it does the past, I think. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I hope it's good. I hope it comes out. But it, it's not due to come out until 2023. So <laughs> maybe I should, uh, I should back yeah. off from the edge of my chair. They just shouldn't. <laughs> I think back to a time where I would get excited about knowing a game was coming out in two years. It's like, no, I kind of just let me know the month before it comes out. Do <laughs> Nintendo style. This hey, real quick as well, just to say, like as an Irish boy who was pretty oblivious to what was going on because of Terminator and even as a teenager, Terminator and Beverly Hills Cop in these movies, like I guess Detroit is a city with lots of crime. It's completely <laughs> oblivious 
the whole racial element of how Detroit is discussed mm-hmm. in America. Yeah. Like completely oblivious to that. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that, like, yeah, with what went on in the last, well, not what went on, but with some of the discussions of the last year, year and a half, yes, that could definitely. get really interesting. Definitely, yeah. for sure, for sure. Uh, okay, well, that does it for uh, news, uh, recent news about history and games. And uh, take a moment here, last few minutes of the show, to talk a bit about the history games and non-history games that we've been playing recently. So, John, what have you been playing recently? Um, well, the main history game I guess I've been playing is Old World, um, which we did a kind of a little episode on a few months ago last year, I guess it was, when it was still early access, when... Um, uh um mohawk games very kindly uh you know kind of shared shared some codes with us and uh, you know i think our initial take on the game was very uh positive and then so i, I was like oh this looks good and then i kind of decided i'm just going to leave it for a while and in my head i'll come back to it when it's closer to coming out well it is out now as of july the first and so I, I i actually had i i never uninstalled it so i went back to play it a few days ago and um i really like it is the first thing i say and I think that um, they've continued to flesh out um, what they've sought to do. So I think the game designers, of course, Soren Johnson's the most well-known, and he's the lead designer, uh, and he was the lead designer on Civilization Four. He has clearly played a bunch of Crusader Kings too, um, <laughs> and, and 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 so there. I think there's two big ways in which Old World, and and this is something he's doing on purpose, um, are branching away from Civilization Two. He's bringing in Crusader Kings Two style elements where your ruler has almost like rpg element type stats and things like that and opportunities to do things that um are affecting so i I, i've been playing egypt in my game and this is very fitting with how cleopatra is remembered in the public imagination but one of the things she can do the way that i've kind of built her as a character is she can influence rulers of other of Mm. other kingdoms and so the persians and i were at war for a while and it was a very kind of an old world style war where nothing was really happening. There was some fighting early on. And then we just kind of fell into just being at war, but leaving each other alone. The Assyrians were fighting the Persians as well. The Persians didn't have the energy to take me on really. And I didn't really want to deal with them because I wanted to build, I wanted to build my cities up. And so I just influenced their ruler. So he kind of liked me, even though we were at war. And then eventually I was able to call the war up. And so things like that I think work really well. And it's interesting because some of the reviews have kind of bounced off that a little bit and found it frustrating because then like Crusader Kings 2 game, that means it might just not go well. And it also means that when your powerhouse leader turns 73 and dies and her son's a bit feckless, you just got to you gotta, you gotta suck it up for a few turns. And other things I like, and he, he did Civ 4, but like, you know, I the other night I, I I turned it on later than I should have and was up till one o'clock in the morning, which for me <laughs> these days is insane because I just couldn't stop. I, it has that one more turn thing. And I, I was very happily building roads tile by tile, hex by hex from city to city. The newer Civ games have taken out of your hands. I love it. I love building my own roads <laughs> with workers who don't disappear after three things. They're just, they're there, you know? Yeah. And um, I love that. So it, even, I mean... The game is a lot more than, I want to be very clear, the game is a lot more than this. But if you happen to be someone who who thinks that effectively a really sexy looking Civ 4 is attractive, yeah, you need to try, you need to try the game. I really I really like what they did. That's, I'm really enjoying that it. That sounds like the perfect back of the box statement for me, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 the whole premise is they stop or like it's a 200 turn game. I... I uh, I wish I could build railroads, but anyway, sorry, I yeah. cut across you. 
no, 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 that's fine. I was just going to say that uh, this is a game that I haven't touched since we did that video uh, last year. Uh, and so I'm really excited to get back into it. And, you know, I think the idea of, you know, having a game that's a cross between Civ four and Crusader Kings two, that sounds perfect. So I'm really looking forward to it. We are definitely at history respawn. We are going to definitely cover this game in some way. I don't know how we might just do an episode with the two of us, John, just talking over kind of yeah. the mechanics of it. And then we might do one with a historical expert um well in this era of history so i don't know what do you feel like i i yeah i, th- I kind of think all of the above if we can get a guest you feel good about it i think that's definitely you and i should play it together and i i should say as well like the mechanics offer a lot of stuff for you and me to talk about in the sense of like again it has a ck2 thing the ck2 does where it throws up these events in your face now in old world you're getting at least one event almost every single turn and it can be as simple as a ruler visiting your visiting your court. And then like his son says, ha, my my dad's a crappy king. I'm going to be fantastic. And so do which, you know, they're having a bit of a, you know, dirty laundry in front of the Egyptians here. I'm the Egyptians. And so do I support the current ruler who's getting on a bit? To, so our relationship is good. Or do I allow our relationship to deteriorate a little bit because I'm becoming more friendly with the son who I know is going to be king soon? And something that happens in the game um, uh, there's lots of uh, usurping rulers going on in the AI. So actually, you don't want to get, if you invest a lot into a ruler, he could just get deposed or she or she could get deposed pretty quickly. Wow. And other things like the game does have slavery in the game, or at least it comes to you and says, right, you've got a choice. Are you going to take slavery or not? And um, if you choose to have enslaved people in your society, there's certain benefits you get. And there's certain there's trade-offs, right? It's a it's a very video gamey type thing. But I would say to the credit of Mohawk Games, it's not a stupid obvious thing to do. It's not a case of like um choose to have slave holding and get this material benefit, or choose not to have it because you're kind of role-playing it and you want to be a good person, but you're kind of missing out. It's not that simple. You are genuinely you're kind of going, you're pushing yourself down a specific resource track, um, which I think is more effective. Than, than, than making it just color text or flavor text sure. or whatever. Sure. You know, and there's been a little bit of that in um, Stellaris, the Paradox game, mm-hmm. actually, in terms of and, and, and around slaves and enslaved robots and things like that. But these things are always interesting. So there's a lot there for us to talk about. Um, yeah, awesome. A lot, lot of good agency contingency stuff for us to awesome. sink our teeth into. I'm really, really excited. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, anything else you've been playing? Yes. I've been playing Resident Evil Village and... Um, you, Bob, and others recommend. So I have a PlayStation 5. I just wanted to let that hang out there, floating. <laughs> Which by, I, I should have mentioned earlier, I'm convinced before that machine retires, I'll have an Xbox Game Pass app on that machine. I'm just convinced it's going wow. to oh, blow prediction. everybody's minds. Yeah. Well, I don't know. It's one of these. If it happens to pan out, it'll look like a genius, but nobody will remember that I said it. But um, <laughs> um, And Resident Evil 7 comes. If, if you get a PS5, you get access to this PS Plus collection thing. And Resident Evil 7 is there. And I kind of missed it. And you, Bob, and several others said to me, oh, you got to play 7 first, then play 8. You'll be happy that you did. And you were 100% right. I'm very happy I did. If anybody happens to be lucky enough to be, be in my situation, you should play 7 and then play 8. Um, I, you know, I haven't been into Resident Evil since Resident Evil 4. And I mm-hmm. used to be like the biggest Resident Evil fan. Like I used mm-hmm. to love that series. And I got the, the remake of 2, but I kind of struggled with it a bit, to be honest. I never finished it. And I have been loving, loving, loving seven and eight. And I was so skeptical of the first person view as well. I was like, oh, that's not Resident Evil. 
I want, you know, I'll accept changing the terrible tank controls to good controls, but it's got to be third person. No, they 100% made the right call. Um, and the way that I don't want to spoil anything, but seven just seems like some weird standalone thing where all the old stories are gone. And that is not the case. Mm. And then it whets your appetite for eight, which is like when resident evil is good, it's the best B movie ever made. And that's yeah. what village is for. It's like, this is like the best B movie I've ever awesome. experienced. I love, I, I'm loving it. And now I see, I, I'm going to watch it now. There's no way in hell my wife will watch it with me, but there's a new Netflix show, Resident Evil Infinite Darkness. And when I finish eight, it's it's different. It's not connected to eight, but I'm going to finish the game first. I'm going to watch the hell out of that. <laughs> I am all in for this Resident Evil renaissance. Awesome. Count me in. Yeah. It's awesome. Uh, <laughs> you finished Village, yeah, right? Renaissance, right? R-E, right? So, yeah. <laughs> uh, yes. So... It. I, uh, yeah, I played seven uh, a couple years ago, I think around this time of the year, uh, two years ago, and I loved it. And I'd meant to play eight as soon as it came out. But in the meantime, I did buy the uh, remake or the updated version of Resident Evil 2, which is one of my favorite games of all time. And I still haven't mm -hmm. played that. And so yeah. I feel like Same, I yeah. need to play that first <laughs> before I get to eight. Although... You're making me think maybe I could just skip the remake of two. I totally right thought to you'd. I totally thought you'd played eight. No, I haven't. I'm played so eight. I almost yeah. texted you a spoiler last week. Oh really? No, no, no I haven't. I, I haven't touched it. I haven't played you, it. I haven't bought you, it. I yeah. I have the same Resident Evil two. I played two hours of it and was like, I just for whatever reason. Yeah. But Ace, uh, no, you should you should play Ace. It's okay. so good. Okay, it's I'll so do good. It. Okay, I'll it's do crazy it. good. I'll do it. And I'm playing yeah. at a, I'm playing at an easy baby dad mode. I don't care what you call it. <laughs> um, and and this was true for Seven as well. I am very pleasantly surprised at how well those games hold up mm -hmm. at the, on the easier difficulty setting. Mm -hmm. Like they're just as tense, and you get basically. I get the same. Oh God! Oh God! Oh God! But then I, but then I actually beat the boss because yeah. I don't have two hours to figure out how to beat him. So it's perfect for me. <laughs> so now so eight is amazing. Tell me about your play environment. Are you playing it with the lights off at night, or are you are you playing it in the <laughs> middle of the day with all the windows open? Seven, seven is such an intense beginning that I, I literally played like ten minutes of seven at the ten o'clock at night and. My wife and kids were away, so it was me in an empty house, and I was like, I can't do this. I had to turn it off. <laughs> I don't went to bed, um, and so I played Resident Evil Seven like in the daytime for two or three days, and then that game eases off a lot it of does. the it does, yeah, this haunted house stuff and becomes a bit more of an action game, um, and then and then eight, um, eight, yeah, I, I don't know how to say it about eight. Eight has a similar flow, which in truth, Resident Evil does this a lot. A lot of its games do this, where the first thirty percent of the game is 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 more tense mm -hmm. and is more dealt with, like kind of kind of get past like your fear of encountering certain enemies, and then it just becomes complete kitsch, insanity, awesome. mutants everywhere. Yeah, it's really it. good. I love it. <laughs> it's really good. Oh man. Well, now I yeah I really want to play it now so I can talk to you about it because um, I really yeah. enjoyed Seven a lot and. Um, and now to hear that eight is so good, it's great. You know, it's the world needs Resident Evil. The video game world I agree. needs Resident <laughs> I Evil. I agree. Sometimes video games take themselves way too seriously, and Resident Evil is not that type of game. Um, and listen, they strayed from the path because Resident Evil Six was, uh, yeah, I did not. I didn't finish five or six. Five was not great, but I played most of it. Six was just 
what are you guys doing? That was yeah. That was I, unfortunate. I that finished. Was unfortunate. I finished five. I played most of it co-op with my sister actually, and ah. then um, Resident Evil Six. I never bought, never played. I read the reviews and just was like, I don't, I don't need this. Um, I did pick up uh, PlayStation Now. Uh, the streaming service for the summer. I just got a three-month uh, deal when it was on sale, uh, mainly so my daughter could play a lot of old uh, Sonic games. She's really into Sonic the Hedgehog. Um, but uh, they have Resident Evil 6 on there, and so I'm thinking maybe I'll spend like, I don't know, four or five hours with Resident Evil 6 just to see how bad it actually is. Um, that, that's yeah. That's the beauty of those services, honestly, in so many ways. Like, like with Xbox Game Pass, People say Spirit Fairer is good. I can spend half an hour deciding if I like Spirit Fairer. Mm-hmm. And if I do like it, that's it. My month subscription is now justified. Yeah. And if I don't, I'll go to the next one. Yeah. But so 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 tell me, so what have what have you been playing then, Bob? Yeah, so I've been sticking with uh the Mass Effect Legendary Edition. And this is mostly because I've been trying to get a lot of writing done this summer. So I, I've been trying to curtail as much as I can what I've been playing. Uh, and then also, uh, we recently went on a family vacation to Disney World in Florida. So I haven't had a lot of time to play anything. I, uh, like a silly idiot, I took my Switch with me to Disney World thinking I have time to play it. And <laughs> we were so exhausted at the end of the day that I just I never had time to pick it up. But uh, <laughs> Mass Effect 3, I have stuck with. I've been playing it on PlayStation 5. And I finished uh, Mass Effect 1. I think at the end of May, maybe early June, and then Mass Effect 2 I finished uh, mid-June. And then Mass Effect 3 I'm now maybe about midway through. And, you know, that's a game that I think uh, it's only, it's like eight, nine years old at this point. Mm -hmm. So it's older Mm -hmm. than you would think. Like I think about Mass Effect 3 and I was like, oh, that came out like six years ago. It's like, no, it's pretty old. It's almost a decade old. And I would say that in terms of the mechanics and the gameplay, the combat really holds up. It's a lot of fun to play that kind of cover-based shooter, and the game often forces you out of cover in interesting ways. And so it has a, a very fluid combat system that I still find really enjoyable. But I find the narrative structure of Mass Effect 3 really annoying, uh, mostly because mm. it is kind of... Uh, it's kind of a railroaded experience, uh, you know. For Mass Effect One, Mass Effect Two, you felt you felt. I don't know if this is really the case, but you felt a little bit more freedom with what side stories you would play, and you know when you would play them. Whereas in Mass Effect Three, there are certain narrative events that occur that once they occur, they can cut off certain storylines, right? So they can cut off certain side stories or side quests that you can do, and so it's kind of a it's kind of a railroaded experience mm-hmm. and it's much more of a um a one track experience than i remembered um and another thing that i think is really interesting about mass effect 3 is the way that shepherd shepherd your character player character uh, uh collects uh, side quests uh and this happens by basically going to the citadel and walking around and eavesdropping on other people's <laughs> phone conversations or other people's in-person conversations. And so you'll hear, for instance, like, oh, this Volus really wants this uh, 
uh, artifact from his homeworld, but he can't get a hold of it. And so you go out <laughs> and you would go and find this artifact on his homeworld. And then you come back and be like, hey, I couldn't happen to have overheard that you needed this. So here it is. <laughs> and then you get, you know, uh, a boost in credits and a boost in your uh, preparedness for the final battle. And it's just so creepy. Like, I just don't know why <laughs> the game was set up in this way. I would much rather you, uh, you know, get side quests from like a, a job board or uh, get it from like direct messages from these individuals. But instead, you get them by walking around the Citadel and just listening in on other people's conversation like a total creep. Like, <laughs> it is so weird. I, I just, I, I, I assume, I mean, from a narrative perspective and from game mechanic perspective, you know, usually in RPGs, you've got a job board or something like that, or people send you messages right. and that's how you get quests. And I would, I would assume like the game developers, maybe they set it up this way so that there was interesting events and dialogue going on while you were walking around in the Citadel, right? This otherwise mm -hmm. like really static and empty space. Uh, because the first game, the Citadel has a few moments uh, where things just happen, but otherwise it's just kind of like a barren wasteland uh, narratively. So maybe this is a way to kind of overcompensate for that problem. I don't know, but it does, if you step back and think about it, it's like, gosh, my Seppard is like really creepy. Like, why would you be listening in on all these <laughs> conversations? Why would you be mixing yourself up in all these other little smaller stories? Like, you've got a galaxy to save. I don't know. It's yeah. just, it's very funny. It's very what, weird. What I want to ask you, because I remember the big controversy of the third game was the ending. The ending never really bothered me. I But I remember early on, and I always, I always attributed this to I loved two so much that I wasn't giving three a fair shake. But I, so I've been curious. So, do you think playing at one, two, three, more or less back to back? I think I know the answer to this based on what you were just saying. Does it help three for you, or does it kind of undermine three? I mean, the, the, it doesn't feel. And I, I'm always laughing at like showrunners for TV shows. They say I've got plans for seven seasons. I'm like, well, let's see, but. This doesn't seem like it was a planned trilogy exactly. So, like, how is playing them back to back affected how you're enjoying three? I feel like, I feel like separation from two would actually help three narratively because you would kind of forget how two was set up and how interesting the setup was and how fun it was to play all those stories. Playing it back to back, three doesn't hold up to two. But also, I, I felt very similar to you as I didn't really mind three that much. I didn't really beat it up over the ending you know uh rpg stories um you know uh fiction stories in movies long-running fiction stories in movies and in books they usually have bad endings right it's just a right. fact yeah so, that's right that's mass right. spec 3 having kind of a, a wonky ending is not that surprising to me um but i would say that uh, Mass Effect 3 feels like a game where they were really focused on um, the kind of overall narrative arc of the series as a whole and finishing that. They were really focused on combat. And then the actual moment-to-moment -moment action within Mass Effect 3, that came last. And that mm -hmm. really shows because it feels like all of these moment-to-moment -moment events in this game are kind of shoehorned in there. Right. And that's mm -hmm. why it feels like a you're kind of on a railroad rather than, you know, just a big open world where you can go anywhere and do anything. Um, so 
Yeah, I think it doesn't, Mass Effect 3 doesn't fare well in direct comparison to Mass Effect 2 or even Mass Effect 1, which I think Mass Effect 1 held up much better for me on the second playthrough than it did when I first played it. Um, but I still enjoy Mass Effect 3. You know, it's it's more Mass Effect. And there are really great moments in Mass Effect 3 where you wrap up storylines um, you know, there's all sorts of these storylines, but there was one that I played last night, uh, where you had had to fight a Batarian terrorist in the DLC for Mass Effect one, uh, this, uh, uh, DLC, I can't remember what it's called, but, uh, basically where you're trying to stop an asteroid from being slammed into a planet, right? Uh, exactly bring down the sky. I think that's what the DLC is called. Um, I think so. But so your antagonist in that is this Batarian terrorist, and you have a choice at the end of that to let him get away or to kill him. So I let him get away. And so he pops up again in Mass Effect 3 in this wow. quest line that you would assume on the outskirts, uh, or just at the outset, I should say, not on the outskirts. On the outset, you would assume this is just kind of like another throwaway quest, but at the end of this otherwise throwaway quest, you get uh, you know, closure on this story hmm. that you started back in Mass Effect 1. And I think those kinds of elements, those kind of uh, overall arc of the story elements are pretty well done by Mass Effect 3. It's just kind of the moments within Mass Effect 3 itself, the Mass Effect 3 story itself, right? not quite, not nearly as satisfying as ME1 or ME2. Yeah, that sounds great. Well, I, I'm still, I, I Village kind of pulled me away from a, uh two I, I had started two but uh yeah i'm still i'm still optimistic i'm still kind of thinking okay i'm i'm gonna play all three i'm not gonna stop after two uh, real quick as well though about mass effect one yeah i mean i loved that game and for years have said that's one of my favorite games and when i played the remastered version i was like oh it's better than i thought that's, yeah. that's how well it's held. yeah it's actually yeah. better than i remember it so yeah. good yeah mass effect one it was kind of a revelation to me to be like oh you know i this wasn't one of my favorite games, and now I think it might be one of my favorite games. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's crazy good. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, I think that does it for this episode. John, thank you so much for joining me. Thanks, Bob. It was great, as always. And uh, dear listener, thank you for joining us as well. Uh, we will have more episodes of History Respawn coming up uh, this month. We're going to have more podcasts. Uh, we're going to have a couple of episodes of Civs 101. And then we'll probably have something on Old World uh, by the end of this month, maybe early next month. Uh, but if you want to keep up to date uh, with everything that's going on with History Respawn, you can follow us on Twitter and at History Respawn. Uh, you can also follow us on our website, historyrespawn.com. And uh, if you're interested in learning more about the show and supporting us, please visit our site on Patreon at www.patreon.com forward slash History Respond. Thank you so much for joining us, and until next time, goodbye.